Petey, called Anthony, is away for the week in Malta. Um, so I'm guessing it's a lot sunnier than over here. Uh, yeah, he did send a, a brief email uh, yesterday, just sort of, um, just, uh, just saying he's keeping us in prayer as he's, yeah, hopefully having, yeah, a really relaxing time as well um, before he gets back at the weekend. So, yeah, we are going to be going through um, uh, a little bit, uh, a little part of the Bible, which should be pretty cool. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, verse, and we're starting from verse 32. Um, so yeah, in your Bibles, that will be Mark in the New Testament, which is a gospel, uh, one of four gospels which account the life of Jesus. Um, so what we've been doing, um, so just in case you don't know, we, um, we go straight through scripture at this church. So what we've been doing on a Wednesday We've been going through Second uh, Corinthians, which has been awesome. Um, but um, this week we're taking a slight detour. Um, so what we've been reading uh, in Corinthians has been a letter by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and uh, what we're going to focus on today is going to go before those events. Uh, we're going to go back uh, and we're going to look at um, a distinct part of the life of Jesus. Um, so yeah, it's going to be in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Um, but yeah, before we start, um, yeah, let's just pray uh, and then we'll get, get right into it. So, Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for your church, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're God who loves us. You're God who still speaks to us today. And you're God who desires an intimate relationship with us, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would speak so clearly to us today. Lord, that we may leave here changed people, Lord. That we would have truly met with you this day, Lord Jesus. And that our lives will never be the same again. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Awesome. Right, so Mark uh, chapter 14, uh, starting from verse 32. And this is what it says. So then they and that is um, Jesus and the disciples, came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he, that being Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Have you ever felt troubled? In a place where you're deeply distressed, to the point where your very soul is, is sorrowful. A place where the circumstances in which you find yourself are overwhelming. Here we get this glimpse into the, the, the events leading up to what would ultimately be uh, Jesus being betrayed, arrested, crucified for our sins on the cross. But then we'll actually see eventually him actually rising again and that's where our hope is found. But today we're going to be focusing on that moment which we've just read where we see Jesus, where his heart is sorrowful, where he's a place in a place when he's distressed and troubled. And the Bible says for us to be imitators of Christ. You see, how Christ acts in this situation is very different to how we often act in times when we are distressed, in times where we are troubled, in times where we are sorrowful. So this is an historical account of what happens and but we can learn so much about how Jesus responds in such difficult times. And it's a way, and it shows us how we can respond in such difficult times. So yeah, as we can see, we have to be imitators of Christ. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and whenever I say anything, don't just believe me, always, always search the scripture. Let, let the Bible have the final say. And the beauty about uh, doing Bible studies and the chance to preach is it's there. It's just my job just to, just to try and explain it, trying to, to present it in such a way in which we can, we can understand what Christ is already saying to us, what Christ has already spoken to us. And the cool thing about his word is his word is living. So every time that we read his scripture again and again, we see more, we see him actively talking through his Holy Spirit. So yeah, in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And we'll look at that idea a bit later on, the idea of how we are called to be children of God. And we'll see that emphasis in, in, in his prayer as well. But yeah, there we can see we're to be imitators of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul is saying, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ throughout Scripture, we see this call to imitate Christ, to see how Christ lived, who is our perfect example, to take him as our point of reference. We are called to be his disciples. We're called to follow in his footsteps, to take his lead. And here we get to see this beautiful, how Jesus responds when he is in such, when his heart is so troubled. So yeah, so before we get delve right into the text, uh, it's important to know that this, this part of Scripture is so important. It's mentioned in four Gospels. So four Gospels, so we've got, there are four books in the Bible, 
and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And these all recount the life of Jesus. In three of those books, Matthew, Mark and Luke, this, 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 this period of time this, where Jesus goes to the Father in Gethsemane and prays, in, all, in those three books they are described in great detail and in John he kind of briefly mentions it but it's in more detail in those three books. So it's important. What happens here is very important and each author focuses on a different side of things and here today we're going to be looking at what Mark is focusing on. Here we get to listen in on the private prayer life of Jesus before his death. Imagine, put yourself into a situation where you're in such circumstances when you know what is about to happen, you know that something terrible is about to happen, you know that you're about to encounter some form of hardship, what would your prayer life be in that situation? Would it be anything like we see of Jesus' prayer life here? So let's go through this text bit by bit. Let's look at first, well, verse 32. So then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So what does Jesus do when his heart is troubled, when he's in circumstances which, which are painful and terrible? He knows what is about to happen. How does he respond? He goes to a familiar place of prayer. In a time of distress, Jesus' natural reaction is to go and pray. So my first question to you is, especially as Christians, when we face trouble, are we naturally inclined to go and pray? He goes to, not just to a place of prayer, but he goes to a place, a familiar place of prayer. I love this. He, if you look in Luke chapter 22 and verse 39, it's just the one verse, but it's, it's covering this section as well, uh, and, it, and, and this is what Luke says. He says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. He was familiar of this place. He, he would come to this place to pray before. This was not a, a foreign place. I just love how he had a distinct place set apart for which he went to to pray. Do you have a distinct place where you can go to pray? So for me, example, uh, at the moment, for, I, I, I like to pray, for, well, for my personal kind of experience, what I like to do is I like to walk and pray. Because often if I sit down, I often find, as most of you will know, I get very tired very quickly. So... <laughs> So my place of prayer is, um, so it's, it's going to change at different periods. And um, there's going to be another verse I'm going to show you in a second where, uh, just to show how Jesus, there was a number of different places he would go to when he would pray because he wouldn't be in the same location all the time. So for example, if I'm at work, there's, there's like a canal near where I work. If you've ever been to Guildford, there's like a canal uh, it seems to be where all the rough people hang out. But um, <laughs> early in the morning, it's actually quite nice to walk down. So what I do is, as that is one of my places of prayer. I know if I'm going to go to that place, it's to pray. And I'm going to walk and pray because I quite like walking. Walking's quite a cool thing. Um, but yeah, do you have a place of prayer? Somewhere which is comfortable, somewhere where you can get away from it all, somewhere where you know if you go, you know you're going to be in that right frame of mind to pray. You're going to meet with God. 
Where is that place? Are you on the lookout for that place? I mean, the cool thing is, because as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within us, we can pray at any time, in any, at any place. But it's quite nice to have those nice places, those familiar places where you go to, where you know you can get alone and be with the Father. So then also, not only does he have a regular place of prayer, his, he actually has a regular prayer life. So <laughs> he doesn't wait until a point of disaster, he doesn't wait until a point of hardship before praying. He's already got that lifestyle instilled, he already has that relationship ongoing with the Father before crisis even hits. And I'm guilty, I think we're all guilty of it sometimes. It's so easy when times are going well that our prayer life has actually slipped. It's only really when we actually begin to experience some form of hardship that we're like, ah, now I've got to go pray. And then, okay, keep praying. And then, ah, and then it kind of eases. But no, no, Jesus sets for us a better example. If you could turn with me briefly to Mark chapter 1. So go right to the beginning of that book. Mark chapter 1 and verse... 35. And it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And we see this throughout the Gospels, times where Jesus gets away from the crowds, he gets away from his disciples, just to spend time with the Father. Do we have that regular time of prayer, that regular time of intimacy with Christ? Is it constant? Is it regular? Or are we in a position where we're content in a wrong kind of way to the point where we're neglecting our prayer only until that point where we really need it? When the truth is, we always need it. We always need to be in that that relationship. And as we will go on further, we'll see that's what Jesus' prayer life is. It's a relationship with God. So yeah, let's continue to read on. So first of all, how does Jesus respond to a time of hardship, to a time of difficulty? His first response is to pray, to go to a place of prayer. And then let's read verse 33. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. So here we go. Set the scene. Jesus has gone to this regular place of prayer with his 12, well, with his 11 disciples, shall we say. With his 11 disciples, but then out of that 11, he chooses three Three disciples who he goes, he takes them and they go further away from the other disciples to another point. He invites intimate friends to come alongside him. Peter, James and John. This was not the first time uh, that he calls those three men apart. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, we see how he reaches out to, to different people. So he has influence in different people. So there are times when he invests in the big crowds and a lot of it's from preaching. There's the times where he invests in one-on-one. But we know as we read through Scripture there's 12 disciples for which he decides to invest even more time. 
He personally disciples those. But then even out of those 12 disciples, there are three, Peter, James and John, who he takes away at different occasions and who he invests even more time with. So, for example, for example, if we look at, if you want to turn with me as well, Mark chapter 5 and verse 37, just to give you an idea of the other times to which Jesus calls Peter, James and John and separates them from, from the other disciples. So yeah, if you can turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And what's the situation which he only lets them into? Let's continue to read. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a torment and those who wept and wailed loudly. You see, when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. There he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Here he restores the life of this little girl, and he calls Peter, James and John to be present. And then now, if you want to quickly go over a couple more pages to chapter 9 and verse 2. And this is on the, on, when Jesus is on the mount and it's his transfiguration. Now after six days, Jesus took, who did he take with him? Peter, James and John. And led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Here we see Jesus has personally invested in these guys and he's invited them into his life. He's invited these three particular guys to see every aspect of his life, both the times when there's great success, when he's healing people, uh, in the times where they see his glory manifested, but then they also get the privilege of seeing him how he deals with hardship and sorrow. You see, it's not... We can easily be prone to invite people into our lives when things are going well, when we're being successful, when things are... When we're generally in a good place ourselves, it's very easy for us to invite others. Come alongside, you know. (laughs) Things are good. But are we willing to invite others in when things are difficult? when things are challenging. And there's, there's two purposes for that, as I'll try and explain um, a bit further on. Are we willing to let people, our intimate friends, come alongside us during a time of trouble? And you see there's...
when we invite those, and it's quite interesting to know that Jesus invited three guys. He chose three. So it wasn't everybody he chose to saw him in that really emotional state. He chose three guys. And we, I believe, are called as well when we go through difficult times to invite intimate people, intimate friends alongside us for two reasons. It gives us an opportunity to bless others. But it also allows us to be blessed. When we invite other people in, and, and, we, and, we, and we need to, it, people get the opportunity to see how we react. In this situation, Peter, James and John are being blessed. Christ is inviting them in to see how he, our perfect saviour, reacts in a time of distress. It is a moment for which I can almost guarantee that they would have taken on for the rest of their lives to see how Jesus responded to hardship. When we invite others in, we give them the opportunity to see how we respond to hardship. And that can be encouraging. And in this situation, we actually see that it is them being blessed, maybe not so much Jesus being blessed by them. I mean, I think them being actually present there was of some comfort to him. I mean, these are his closest friends. We know, especially when it comes to John, how close Jesus was to John. I mean, he was, he was the only one there who, even, who came back when he was crucified, out of all the disciples to be there. We know just how close Jesus was to John and how much of a comfort, even just them being present there. But we also know that they fell asleep. He asked them to stay, he asked them to watch, and he asked them to pray. And they fell asleep. I can really identify with those guys, actually. Unfortunately. But we need to remember that, you know, we're not perfect, we're not like Jesus, and actually, if we continue, if we block out people, then we can often miss out on the opportunity to be blessed and an opportunity to be encouraged. And sometimes, if we're the, uh, the Peter, James or John, you know, sometimes we're the people who get invited into somebody's world. How many times we've had that happen? And I know from my personal experience, when that happens, it's such a privilege, but there are some times where you're like, Ah, I don't know what... (laughs) There is a danger that when we do get invited in by people, that we try to fix the problem. I think, I don't know if it's a guy thing or not, but if somebody tells me about their problems, my natural reaction is usually to be like, okay, right, let's go fix it, let's do something about this, let's change this. Um, (laughs) But I am learning, (laughs) and it's taken a while, that sometimes just being present is enough. Because to be honest... There are situations which people go through and they invite me into. And I don't know what to say. Just like them, they didn't, they, they fell asleep and, and even says they didn't know what to say. Sometimes just being present is of some comfort. And let's also look at what he actually asked them to do as well. That takes us on to our next point. What did he ask of them? He asked them to stay, to watch, and to pray. 
What if we made that simple, that simple change in our lives? What if every time we hit hardship as Christians, we called a few people, a few intimate friends, and we said openly, I'm going through this, I'm not expecting you to fix it, but can you just stay, can you watch, and can you pray? Can you stay, can you just be present? Can you watch, can you watch my back, I'm not perfect. Watch my conduct to make sure it's in line with what's right, but also watch my back so I've got protection as well, and then pray. Pray not just for me, but also pray for yourselves. Imagine if we made that simple change in our lives, that simple discipline of as soon as hardship hits. That's what we do. And now, before we move on, I mean, I love this idea of just inviting close friends in to come alongside us. But we do need to be careful because there can be two extremes and I just love how Jesus provides a better way. So the one extreme when we, when we invite people in is to become dependent. We rely on others to an unhealthy extreme. We look to them for salvation. They become, as it were, a functional saviour. The problem is they're bound to fail. So although we're called to invite people in, and I love Jesus here, he invites his disciples in, but who is he ultimately pouring his dependence towards? It's the Father. He's not expecting the disciples to fix the situation. He's not expecting the disciples to be his saviour. Who is he going to for that? It's the Father. As we are called to invite people to come alongside, we must be careful of the extreme of dependence. We are to be dependent on the Father and yet open to be encouraged by others so that the Father can use others to encourage us. And then if the one extreme is dependence, then the other extreme is independence where we can get to the point where we distance ourselves from those who can offer comfort and counsel. counsel. We limit the opportunity for us to be ministered to and, and we miss out on the, in, the opportunity to minister to others. And I love this because it's perfectly summed up. Jesus is not dependent on the disciples, but he chooses to invite them alongside. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be dependent on the Father. We get, our, we get all that we need from Christ and then as we invite others alongside, we are open not only to be a blessing to them, but we are also open to receive a blessing from them as well. Jesus provides the better way. And just to give you an idea of dependence, it's, and just how how easily we can fall into it, but then how silly it can sound. Listen to this, right? For example, let's take Jesus' prayer where he's dependent on the Father and what if it read like this, which is we can often so do in our own lives. So this is his prayer, but it's tweaked. 
as if it was somebody who was dependent on people rather than on Christ. My dear Peter, all things are possible for you. James, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, John. See how silly that sounds? But how often do we do that? How often do we come to people expecting them to be perfect, expecting them to solve our situation? Because there's going to come a time for which when they fall, because they're not perfect. We are called to find all that we need in Christ. I love it. He invites them in, doesn't expect them to solve the problem. He simply says, stay, watch and pray. So let's actually look at his prayer. So in verse 33, 34, we see, he, we see how Jesus is just open and vulnerable with those closest to him. And then we see how he falls on the ground and prays. In a moment like this, this is how Jesus prayed. And the question is, in a moment like this, how would we pray? So if you've got your Bibles again, turn back to Mark 14. And this prayer starts from 36, a really simple prayer. So from 36, and he said, Abba, Father. Jesus starts his prayer from a place of intimacy. Abba, Father. I mean, if you look, if you want to turn with me to Romans 8, chapter 15, 16. Because in this, in this part where we see this intimacy, we see that God is not distant. He's near and he loves us. He's a loving Father. And this same spirit of intimacy which was between him has been poured out into us. If we turn to Romans 8, 15. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. And this is what it reads. Chapter 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you could also turn to Galatians 4, 6 to 7. Galatians 4, 6 to 7. And it says this, And because you are sons of God, sorry, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There is intimacy between the Father and the Son. And there should be intimacy between us and the Father. If you've accepted Christ, if you've put your trust in him, you're his child. And we get the privilege of saying, along, along, with, along with Jesus, Abba, Father. And now this, 
The word father can sometimes bring about memories which may not actually be pleasant ones which we've had. We live in a generation where fathers are generally absent. I was, I was very blessed um, uh, to have um, uh, my dad, he's, and he's, um, yeah, he's an awesome guy. <laughs> he loves Jesus, um, and yeah, he's, he's been um, an awesome physical father and spiritual father. Because often we can find that fathers tend to either be physically absent, so that as in, they're never there, or physically present and spiritually absent. So sometimes fathers can be physically present and yet spiritually absent. I've been very blessed to have a father who, though not perfect, um, has been both physically and spiritually present there. But for those of us who are fatherless, as we've just read, we are children of God. The God of the universe has adopted you as his son as soon as you put your faith in him. He is the father that we longed we could have and never had. And he desires to be intimate as a father is with his son. And when I think of intimacy with a father, I think um, it brought back memories, and I even saw a photo of it today, it brought back memories of, uh, of my granddad. So my my granddad, who is um, he's still alive, he's in his 80s. Um, so my mum's dad, who, who's also a Christian. Um, and when I was um, growing up, so I was a kid, he used to look after me. And as you all know, I tend to sleep quite a lot, <laughs> even in my older age. Well, I'm not old, but in my elder age than I was. Uh, and, and basically, <laughs> what used to happen when I was a kid was, I would curl up in his lap and I would fall asleep and he would fall asleep as well. So we'd both be <laughs> napping away and what tended to happen was I would wake up first for my grandma to come into the room and see, where's Daniel gone? And then he'd go, oh, well, um, he was just here a second ago. So when I think of intimacy, I think of that, that idea of just being safe uh, and that, that idea of being looked after and cared for. And I believe that, that the Father desires that same intimacy with us. But the only way to develop intimacy is, is to spend time. It comes back to, to what we were talking about earlier on, how Jesus regularly spent time with the Father. And he tells us that to keep it as a model for us. Intimacy is possible with the Father. And it's about us spending time with him. That's how we develop intimacy with ourselves. And that's how we develop intimacy with God as well. And it's just amazing how different that is from, as we see from other religions in the world. Where we see it's the idea of staying away from God. But no, no. The God of the Bible is the one who loves us and who desires intimacy with us. You see, our sin separated us from God. And the only way to get us back, as we'll read in a bit, was for Jesus to go to a cross, to take our punishment, to take our shame, to take our sin, to take the punishment which we deserved so that we could be justified. And that just simply means so that we could be made right with God. So now that broken relationship through Christ 
has been reconciled. And as soon as we say yes to Jesus, there is some. That intimacy we can all experience. So, moving on. You're good, you're still awake. Yeah, yeah, all good, all good, all good. All good. Let's move on to the, the next part of the prayer. So we read, Abba, Father. So he starts from a place of intimacy. All things are possible for you. Straight away, before he even gets into his request, which we'll see in a second, before he brings up the circumstance for which he's in, he focuses and he affirms God's power over that situation. He ultimately says, God, you are bigger than my situation. I love that. Because so often in our prayer life, imagine if we made that the simple change. We start from a place of intimacy. We said, Father. We even just acknowledge that. You're my Father. You're in control. All things are possible for you. And then, after affirming God's power, God's character, we go to the next part, where Jesus makes his request. And it's simple. Take this cup away from me. Here we see Jesus is open and honest and makes an honest plea Lord if there is any way please can you take this from me he knows the pain for which he is about to endure and he comes to the father with a request and here we also see as we read on, that the, ultimate, that the Father ultimately says no to this request. Take this cup away from me. We see that Jesus knows and feels what it's like. I wouldn't maybe like to use the word, say, unanswered prayer, because um, God every, answers every prayer. But we'll use that kind of term just to kind of, as we explore this a bit more. Jesus knows what it feels like to have an unanswered prayer. And what I mean by that is, let me explain a bit further, God answers every prayer. God hears every, every prayer. Every prayer you've ever, ever said to God, he hears. And he always answers it. It's either going to be with a yes, a no, or, generally, or, or later, not now. But when I use the term answered prayer, all I mean is it's in those times when we, we ask something of God and he says no. And here, Jesus experiences that as well. He knows what it's like for the Father to say no. But there's hope, and we'll come to that in a second. But let's, for example, say, let's go along some hypothetical lines here. What if God had granted his request? What if God had granted Jesus' initial request of Take this cup away from me. If there's any other way to save these guys, then do it. What if God had answered that prayer and took that cup away? There would have been no cross. 
we would still be separated from God, we would still be enslaved to sin. Can the same not be said of our own prayers and longings that God's plan is greater than our own? And let me give an example. This is kind of a trivial example, but hopefully it will hopefully illustrate how God's plan is often greater than our own and that when God says no to a request, that often it brings a, that it always brings about something better. So, uh, let me paint the picture. For me, it was, let's rewind, five years, or six or five years. I was 18 years old. I was studying at university. I was going uh, to a uni up in Leeds, uh, which is north, about 200 and 250 miles, I think. Something like that. In Yorkshire. Anybody been to Yorkshire? Woo! It's quite a nice place. It's not like London. but uh, <laughs> It's cool. I really liked it anyway. Anyway, I spent three years studying there. Uh, and I got involved with, um, with a church while I was there. And in my first year of uni, we, uh, they did a mission trip to Liverpool. Anybody from Liverpool? Ever been to Liverpool? No? No? Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. That's cool. It's quite a nice place, you know. It's all right. It's all right. So we, did, uh, we went there just as a team um, from, this, from, from my church and we, the idea was just they were doing like a, a week of um, just kind of outreach. So, and there were kind of two main, there were a couple of different events, but basically kind of the main team, what they were doing were uh, two things. So one team was going door to door and was knocking on each door and, and was simply just saying, we're doing this community thing um, over the week um, just to let you let you know that you're aware of it, and also how can we be praying for you? And that was, that was kind of the basic thing, this is what we're doing, how can we pray for you? Um, and then the other team was going out to people's houses and doing stuff like gardening uh, and other stuff, and then hopefully, you know, through that, then having conversations with people. Um, if any of you actually, you know, know me, I think you'd kind of gather which team I would kind of gear towards. Yes, the gardening team and the physical. Yes, yes, exactly. The physical, <laughs> doing kind of the physical stuff. Generally, I'm not the kind of knock-on-the-door kind of person. So, basically, first day comes along and I'm like, okay, I might do some door knocking, but um, first session I'm like, okay, I'm going to join the gardening team. I can do that, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't really have any intent to join, if I'm honest, if, I, if I'm honest, I didn't really have an intent to join the door knocking team. Uh, especially after the first time I heard somebody shouted at them and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't want to be shouted at. Anyway, after the first day of doing gardening, we were playing American football for the first time. That's the first time I ever played American football. Yeah, you know, I know, yeah, yeah, American football. Anybody like American football? You Americans, you've got, you kind of got to like it, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we were playing American football and while we were playing it, um, I can't remember if somebody tackled me to the ground. I don't think. Oh, I, anyway, I fell awkwardly and landed on my shoulder. Um, I didn't really do anything serious to it, but I did something enough to it which didn't allow me really to do anything, any physical kind of exercise. And I was due to play at church on the Sunday, so it was kind of like I needed my hands and my arms to work. So basically, in the evening, they all gathered, people gathered around me and they laid hands on me and they prayed for me and that I'd be healed. Um, and, and God said no. Uh, this then resulted in me being on the door knocking team for the whole of the week. Uh, 
So <laughs> that's not really what I had in mind, but that is what happened. But um, through that, I had incredible experiences, um, which I would not have had if, if I had not been on that team. So, for example, we met some really crazy people, uh, <laughs> really crazy people. Um, that was just kind of funny. Um, so that was good. But then there was, I remember on the first day I had to do it, um, it was funny, we were kind of door knocking, we knock on this one lady's door and she was a Catholic and she was like, oh, this area is terrible, all these people, no, they've all moved out, all these immigrants coming in and, and all of this. She wasn't very happy and, uh, and we kind of like, oh, okay, we don't agree with you, but um, okay. And then we, <laughs> we kind of say bye. We go next door uh, and we knocked on this door and then out of it um, uh, comes, uh, come a couple of people and they, they didn't speak very good English and as we're starting to talk to them, we see that there's actually a lot more of them in the house. And they kind of, each of them keep coming out and out. And until there's about sort of 10 or 15. So it turns out, <laughs> 10 or 15 Romanians were all in this same house and who were being evicted on that day. Um, and, and we simply said, I remember turning to the lady who was with me, who was, who was quite a bit older than me, um, as they kind of told, them, told us their situation. They were getting kicked out today. They had nowhere to live. They had no money, they had no work. Um, uh, and I remember, she, I remember turning to her as, as they kind of told us and we kind of took a step back for a second. And I remember saying to her, there must be something we can do. There must be something. I mean, I don't know what, but there must be something we can do. And, and, and she was like, oh, well, we, they've got like, um, like a tea and lunch going on down at the church. Why don't we just, you know, at least that way they'll get some food. You know, that's the least we can do. So we go walking with half of them, right past the lady we just <laughs> talked to, who gave us some really dodgy looks, but uh, yeah, that was, that was also fun. Uh, and we go to, go to the church, and in the end, cut a long story short, we managed to, um, to yeah, give them food to pray for them, and then also to arrange for a coach to take them back home. Um, they, they really wanted to go back, and they were, we were able to provide a coach, so on the next morning, very early in the morning, they wanted a coach back to Romania. Um, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, and then throughout the week, being able to um, be alongside people as, as they prayed for people, um, as we comforted an old lady who, who um, didn't get many visitors. I would not have experienced any of that uh, if, if God had said yes to my prayer. Um, and it's, it's a trivial example, um, but I hope it kind of demonstrates that in God saying no, in the unanswered prayer, although we often don't understand it, and sometimes this side of, this side of heaven we won't understand it, um, just to know that God is in control, and God's will and purpose is greater than our own. So let's look at the end of the prayer, how Jesus ends this prayer. So I love this. So he starts with, from a place of intimacy... He makes his request, goes from a place of intimacy. He acknowledges God's power. He makes his request. And this, ah, this last one. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Christ was obedient even when it cost him. Are we willing to be obedient even when it costs us? 
Oh, that prayer, not my will, not what I will, but what you will. It's one of those things which we've, we've heard a lot, you know, especially if we've kind of grown up in church, and it's one of those things you're like, yeah, yeah, God's will, yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's in that, it's in that moment where we can actually see that following God's will is going to cost us. We have a choice to make. God's plan for our lives is far greater than our own, but it will also be more costly. Because let's be honest, if I'm, I'm one of those guys who I quite like comfort, <laughs> to a bad extent. <laughs> and so often when we're in this situation, all we can see is how much it costs us. But we're called to look past that because it is so worth the cost. Throughout Scripture... God calls people to places where they experience hardship, to places where they will experience difficulty, where we are truly out of our depth. The cost is great, but the reward is greater. It's so worth it. Imagine if Moses turned down the call. Imagine if Abraham had turned down the call. Imagine if David had turned down the call. Imagine if Jesus had turned down the call. God's plan for our lives is far greater than our own. It will also be more costly. But it is so worth it. And we need to encourage each other in that. We need to spur each other on in that. Because when we're on our own, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that. To repeatedly deny ourselves and to follow Christ's will. We need, we need to be encouraged by others. And the great thing is about the God we, we, the God we follow, the God of the Bible, he doesn't leave us on our own to do it. Yes, he gives us other people to encourage us, but more importantly, he gives us his Holy Spirit to encourage us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to drive us forward. He hasn't left us to do it on his own. There are times when we feel insufficient for the calling he's placed on our lives, but we must know that he has provided. He will provide. Sometimes we just lack the vision to see how he's going to provide it. We look at Abraham, we see so many times where God promises him this inheritance that he's going to be a father of many nations. And we see, as we read, we see he, he, he believes the call, but some, he just lacked the vision at times to see how God would bring it about. He seemed to think he had to do it on his own. At one point when God is talking to me, he's saying, and I say check the scripture as well, don't just believe me. He's, at one point when, when God comes to him to, uh, talks to him about this inheritance, his first response is, well look, it's, um, you know, I've, got a, I've got a manservant. You, use him, use, 
may my inheritance go to him, may, may, may the line continue through him. And God's like, no, 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 you're going to have an actual son. And then further down the line, we see that, so he's like, okay, okay, I think I'm going I'm to have it through, through a son. He lacked the vision to see that the son would come through his barren wife, Sarah. That's where we see he tries and takes it in his own hands, has a son with his maidservant, and that brings out a load of other troubles, if you read. That brings a very sticky family situation. God's calling was great on his life. It called him to a place where he had to depend on God to fulfil it, and that's the same calling that he places on our lives. The call is great, but he is greater. He calls us to a place where we are to rely on him. Let's look back at Jesus' prayer. So verse 39, if you'd like to read that with me. So the prayer we see, so first of all it's Abba Father, so intimacy, all things are possible for you. He acknowledges God and his power. Take this cup for me. He makes his request. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. He was obedient Let's skip forward a bit to verse 39. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. We see Jesus here. He prayed repeatedly. It wasn't just once, but he continued to pray. We're called not to pray just the once, but to continue to repeatedly come before the Father. And then verse 41 to 42, as we begin to bring this to a close, then he came the third time he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I love, and as we read through this gospel account, as we read through these gospel accounts, we see that the crucifixion did not come by surprise. God didn't drop the ball. He didn't miss anything. This was all part of his plan. He was in control. And I love it. You just see how Jesus is beforehand. He repeatedly telling the disciples, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I know this is going to happen. We even see in, and check it out, in Psalm 22, when we see David and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see Jesus quote that very psalm on the cross. Check that psalm out. That psalm is extremely prophetic. That years and years before Jesus even came, David, guided by the Holy Spirit, was writing about events which were yet to come. Jesus was in control. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't caught off by God. He was in control. He knew what was going to happen and he freely went. Here we see the depth of Jesus' pain. And we see that Jesus was willing to be forsaken so that we, so that you and me never would have to be. And as we see, and that's, as we read on in the next chapter, as you look at chapter 15, and we see the lead up to, to, to the cross and we see him actually being crucified to then again in 16 to him being risen. And ultimately it always comes down to the cross. 
Jesus went to the cross. He was willing to endure hardship because of you and me so that we could be reunited with him. So that that intimacy could be restored so that we could call him Abba Father. We have hope in the cross and hope in the resurrection. He wasn't defeated. God was in control and it was to bring about our salvation. So that Christ, so that God himself could come and live within us. The Holy Spirit will never leave you, will never forsake you. He's always there. So let us not neglect turning to him. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's right there alongside you. So, as we go to prayer, let us remember to be dependent on the Father. To look to Jesus as our, look to Jesus and to imitate our perfect example. To invite those around us to stay to watch and pray. To develop intimacy with the Father so that that intimacy would spur us on to see that his will is better than our own. you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you that there is hope and there is hope in you. I thank you, Lord, that you're in control, Lord. I thank you, though, Lord, that though there are times where we don't understand what's going on, there are times where we feel deeply distressed, where we feel deeply troubled, I thank you, Father, that we can always come to you. And in you we can find our hope. In you we can find our peace. In you we can find our strength. Father, help us to develop that intimacy with you. Help us to, to be open and honest with others, Lord so that we would be a blessing to them and them to us. Father, I thank you for your church. Lord, I thank you for your cross. I thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross, Lord. And there were many different motivations, Lord. There was the motivation of being obedient to the Father, which is a perfect example to how you call us to be obedient. But we also know, Lord, that there was the ultimate motive of that you loved us. And for the joy set before you, you endured the cross so that we could be reunited with you. Father, put, us, put within us a desire to seek that intimacy with you, Father, on a daily, on an hourly basis. Every moment of every day, Lord, may we seek your face. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.